I get tickled someone sometimes people will use as an argument. I've been a Christian for 50 years. Listen, some people have been a Christian 50 years and still need to be in the nursery on Sundays. Spiritual maturity doesn't just happen, gentlemen. It's a choice. It's making the right choices to be who God has called you to be. One verse that I think is so great is 1 Timothy 4, 7. It says, have nothing to do with godly myths, godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. In other words, being godly takes disciplined choices. Now, I'm going to give you one thought that's laid out in this passage tonight to, be, to continue to grow as a Christian, and that's this. Keep your ear glued to God. Who's your ear glued to tonight? I hope it's glued to several people. I hope you listen to your husband. I hope you listen to your wife. I hope you, you young people listen to your parents, your teachers, your bosses. How many of us are really listening to God? Look in verse 11. Aim for perfection, and then he says, listen to my appeal. The word appeal there is, is something that's giving with an intended, specific response expected. In other words, he's saying here, God has said things to you. But he doesn't want you just to listen to. He wants you to do them. He wants you to hear them, and he wants you to do them. James 1.22, Clayton's talked about this a lot. It says what? Don't be just listeners, but be doers of the word. In other words, hear it and take it in. How, how do you hear the word of God? You read your Bible. That's how you mature. You read it, and you, 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 you take it in. You come to church. You listen to sermons. Folks, now, th- th- listen, the truth about this, many of us judge a sermon by whether it keeps us awake or not. I understand I'm under scrutiny every time I stand up, but I want to tell you something tough. God is judging you and me how we listen to sermons. Do you know that? Well, that preacher's really bad. It may be true. I want to tell you, God's judging you, not me, on how you take it in and you respond to it. My Sunday school teacher's boring. He may be. She may be. God's judging you on what you do with what they tell you and what they say. Listen to it talk. Listen to it preach. Pray and listen to God. Listen to what the Lord's saying to you. Maturity is a choice. Gentlemen, continue to be in church. Continue to pray. Continue to read your Bibles. Continue to serve. Continue to give. All these are ways that we grow and mature into Christ's likeness. And remember, it is a choice. Man, you know what's needed in churches today in the kingdom of God is maturing Christians. Maturing Christians. People who are on the journey to continue to be like Jesus Christ. Back in the mid-80s, I'd gone home to Tennessee during a college uh, graduate school break. And I was having dinner with some friends. And one of our friends who wasn't there, I asked about him. How was he doing? Known this guy for years. How's he doing? How's his marriage? And my friend, he kind of put his fork down. He said, you know, he just needs to grow up. He's a daddy. He's got two kids. But he still thinks he's 16. He wants to ride his four-wheeler all the time. He wants to hunt all the time. He wants to fish all the time. He wants to go out with the guys at night and drink beer. He said, you know what? He would be a good dad and a good husband if he would just grow up. You know the key to being a great deacon and a great church member? And someday to stand before God and God to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. The key is 
One of the big keys is that you get on a journey to grow in your relationship with Christ, and you stay on it until God calls you home someday, okay? Number one, maturity. Here's the second thing that this passage lays out. Be a unifier and a peacemaker. Be a unifier and a peacemaker. Verse 11 Finally, brothers, goodbye, aim for perfection, listen to my appeal, be of one mind, and live in peace. One thing the church in Corinth couldn't do is it couldn't get along. They couldn't get along with each other. They fought, they bickered, they were jealous, they were immature. And I know there's times God had to look at them and probably at you and me and just look and shake his head and go, oh my goodness, what childish, childish bickering followers of mine. He says, be of one mind. Be be disposed to something is what he's saying. Live in peace and keep peace. In other words, Scott and Ryan and John, man, promote harmony. Be agreeable. This doesn't mean that we throw at our beliefs, that we compromise truth so we'll all get along. And I want to tell you, I believe in the next 20 years, maybe be the next five years, the church is going to get purer and purer one way or the other. I think we're going to have to, lines are being drawn every day in society that we're either going to have to say that's wrong or we're going to have to say, well, we just want everybody to like us. So we don't agree at any cost. We have standards. But folks, most of the problem in churches, at least churches that I've been in, it's not over major theological issues. It's over carpet color. It's over silly stuff. And God says, get along with one another. Here's an interesting little tidbit. There's an ancient letter, didn't make it in the Bible. It's called First Clement. It was written about A.D. 95, several decades after this letter to the Corinthian. Clement was writing to the church in Corinth. You know what he was telling them? 30 years after Paul had talked to him and talked to him and talked to him, guys, please get along. Quit being jealous, quit bickering, quit fighting. In other words, they never seem to get it. I've been pastoring 27 years this fall. Perry, where's Perry? Perry here. Perry started pastoring in before WW1. He's got a lot more rings around that tree than me. And Andy's not here tonight, but uh, for 27 years is nothing to them. But here's what I think they would agree with me about. I've never seen a church member who was a troublemaker who was a godly person. Now, a troublemaker doesn't mean you you have to agree with me on every issue or you have to agree with everything that Josh or Wayne or Brandon does. But I'm talking about somebody who just can't get along, who just keeps the pot stirred. And on the flip side of that, I've never seen a godly person who was a troublemaker. Isn't that interesting? And so when he says, guys, how do you make your church better? How do we make Jesus shine from this spot on Trenton Street? Is this is a harmonious, unified place, and you guys are given a charge to help make that happen. It's scary, but it's awesome, isn't it? Live in harmony. Be agreeable is what he tells us. In other words, you talk down what's bad and you lift up what's good. You don't deny problems. You don't ignore problems. But you talk down what's bad and you lift up what's good. Scott, Ryan, and John, be unifiers. Be peacemakers. Everybody else here, God's charging you if you're his follower and his child 
Be a unifier and a peacemaker. Here's the third thing, and I love this. Be real friendly. And I know what some people are thinking. Pastor, we need something deeper than that. Let me tell you, if you don't get this, you don't get anything at all. Sorry. You mean to get so excited. I tell you, the most offensive thing to me is an unfriendly, snooty, professing Christian. Amen. They got an 80-pound Bible in one hand, a 90-pound notebook in the other, and they hate you and anybody that gets in their way. Listen to what he says in verse 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss. We're going to explain that more in just a moment. Matthew 22, if you're taking notes, Mark 12. Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing? Jesus said, it's not one thing, it's two. Love God and love people. Everything hangs on those two things. But they just wanted one thing. And see, religious people like that one thing, love God. Because if you say just love God, then you can do a lot of stuff. I mean, there's killing people all over the world in the name of loving God. Jesus said Christianity is not just about loving God. It's about loving God and loving people. How can you say you love me if you're not friendly to me? Amen? Love comes out of your face, out of your hand. That's like saying I'm full of joy, I'm just unhappy. (laughs) You're full of something. (laughs) Greet with a holy kiss. How many of you does that make uncomfortable? It does me. I want my wife to come on stage. I I told her I was going to bring her on stage. And Riley, why don't you come too? We'll just have two guinea pigs. I want to explain to you culturally what was going on. And Josh is not coming on stage to be any kind of kissing demonstration. Okay, now they they did not know what this is about. This is not staged. In the ancient East, come here, girls. Let me get this. So, okay, y'all face me. Okay, come here, Riley, right here. In the ancient East, there was a couple of ways you greeted people. One, if two people were equal. Now, if you don't know, this is my granddaughter, my wife. So I don't want you going, oh, that weird pastor's kissing women on the stage. <laughs> Block this from the internet for a few minutes. Okay. Two people who were equal, when they met each other, they gave each other a kiss on the, like that, okay? Now, here's the really gross thing. That was mostly man-to-man and woman-to-woman. How many of you are uncomfortable with that? I'm uncomfortable with that, okay? And then if, if you came on someone who was slightly your superior, we'll say Riley is the prince of, princess of Ruston, and, of course, I'm just an average common slave. So I would come up to her, and I'd kiss her on the cheek like that. Okay, and then when you came upon someone who was really superior to you, you know, Cindy, I'm the superior, so you got to do this other thing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you you would bow down to them. Okay, Ashley, why don't you and Scott try stand up? You you would Scott, you bow to Ashley. <laughs> you would. <laughs> this is going bad, isn't it? You would, you would bow down to the superior person, okay? Now, now, in the synagogues, y'all stay up here, okay? In the synagogues, which Christianity is birthed from Judaism, in the synagogues, again, it was more like this. It was more kiss on the cheek, and you kiss, you kiss me, okay? You know, like that when you came to the synagogue, you can kiss me too, sweetie, okay? Okay. <laughs> 
I got to do this now. She gets about five years old, years older. She's, she'll never want to come up here again. So I'm enjoying this. So you, you kissed each other on the cheek. Why don't y'all just stand here? This is fun having y'all up here. Anyway. <laughs> but it was normally, it was man to man. The church, I think it evolved to, you, you did it with everybody. It's called a holy kiss. You greeted them. And can you see how this would start to create some problems a little bit? Um, the Christians were accused of being perverts because, you know, they did all this kissing and stuff. And, and, uh, and in fact, in, in like 1250, Walter of York, who was a bishop, archbishop in England, created what was called a Pax Board to solve this problem. And so what the Pax Board was is I, the minister, would kiss the Pax Board, and then we would pass it around the church, and you would kiss it too. Wouldn't it be real bad if you're like Bobby Reagan way back there, or Richard, you're on the back row. You, you know, you're number 900 that day. Ugh, good. And the person before you sneeze. Oh, I mean, think of that. So, so thank goodness we've evolved from the kissing. Now, I'll tell you a funny story real quick. Y'all stay up here. I'm going to need you in a second. At the church where I met Cindy, there was a wonderful guy. He wasn't wonderful when I met. He was, man, he was really, you know, a lost person without, is lost without Christ. This guy was like double lost if there's such a thing. I mean, I've been around vile people, but this guy, he, I mean, he was hard for me to be around. And, uh, but one Sunday morning in December, he got saved. I mean, radically got saved. It was so wonderful. Within three months, he had read the New Testament through. But here's what he started doing. He started kissing all the men at church. It was great. This is, a, this is a wonderful redneck country church where men, you know, even hugging is uncomfortable for, for those kind of guys, you know. And, and so the deacons have a special meeting, and they call me. Chris, you got to do something. Harold's kissing all the men. Harold's kissing all the men. <laughs> so I go to Harold, and I say, Harold, <clears throat> I said, man, why are you, you know, what's going on? He goes, man, I read, you know, throughout the New Testament, it says greet one another with a holy kiss. I said, well, that doesn't really mean that. Man, you, you should have seen the, the heartbreak in his eyes. He looked at me and said, man, we can't take the Bible literal. I said, no, you can. It's cultural. We call that a handshake. Now, aren't you glad for the handshake? Isn't that cool? Some of you, I know what some of you guys are going, man, hey, I wish I could kiss all the women. No, you'd be kissing the men. See, aren't you glad for the handshake? So here's what we do now. You greet somebody, you, you shake their hand, or you give them a, a, a shake, and you give them a fist bump, and you give them, I call this the man hug here. Like this, you know, that's how all of us men hug. Now, Cindy calls this my pastoral hug where you hug somebody and we pat them on the back. And we were taught that in seminary. You're trying to tell me what your problem is, sister. So you're doing that. So if I'm ever patting you on the back, I'm trying to get to the root of the problem in your life. But you see, thank you. Give them a hand. Weren't they good? But, okay, now here's something really cool. That verse says, greet people with a, a holy kiss. Put the verse back up there one more time. Greet with a holy kiss. You see that? A holy kiss. Now, here, here's, the, here's the, one of the really neat things about it. In the early church, you, had, you didn't have like, this was the white-collar church in town. This is the blue-collar church. This is the, they don't know what they are, so they just go to this church. Everybody went to the same church. So you might have sitting right here a slave and sitting right behind them. Wouldn't you like to own Josh? Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> There's the slave owner. There's the slave owner. And sitting right here, Stephen is the wealthiest man in the parish. And sitting right, right here, 
is Braden, and he is a bum that just walked in off the street. But he's gotten saved. And see, in, in the culture of that time, you would not have had any contact with that person. In fact, the slave would bow to the slave owner. And now God says, now look, you're brothers and sisters. Kiss each other. Not a romantic kiss, but a holy kiss. And the church, and the church was the first place that racial and social and economic barriers were being destroyed. Isn't that cool? So when you read that holy kiss, don't ever blow that off again. And don't ever, listen, don't you go around telling people you're a Christian if you can't smile and be friendly. Good grief. You guys here? Be friendly. You are, all three of you. Be friendly to people. You know, you look a lot better with a smile on. You ever notice that? I have never seen someone who looked better scowling. You look prettier. It makes you look nicer. How in the world are we going to get people that want to come to this church if they come in here and we are a bunch of grouches for God? We're holy and unhappy. We're mean for the Messiah. We're critical for Christ. Good grief. I want to go get a beer just thinking about that, and I don't even drink. I mean, that's depressing. Be friendly to people. And here's what God says. When you put maturity, when you put unifying peacemaker with a friendly person, here's what God says. God's hand and his blessing will be upon you. This is really significant, guys. How many of you tonight honestly want God's hand on your life and God's blessing on your life? Everybody does. Look what it says at the end of verse 11. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Now, wait, isn't God always with us as a Christian? Sure he is. What does this mean? What does it mean? That little word with, is a, uh, it means he's in the midst of us, accompanying us. He's our companion. What does it mean? Isn't God always with us? Here's the, here's the understanding of it. Let's say two kids are in a family, and this happens all the time. And, and hopefully it's just for a season, but one of the children, man, they're disobedient to their parent. They, they don't do what they're supposed to do. They cause problems at home. They get in trouble. They don't even have to be little kids. I mean, they can be big kids. They can be grown kids who are at home. Man, the, they're still the child of the parent, but there's tension there, isn't there? And then there's the other child who obeys the mom and dad, who loves them, who has a great relationship with them. Listen, if the mom and dad are good, the love is the same, but the, the fellowship and the connection is way different. Who experiences the hand and the blessing and the fellowship of the parents? The one doing what they should be doing. Correct? Same way he's talking about here. How can God's hand be on your life? How can God's power be on your life and my life? Live under that power. Be a maturing, growing Christian. Be a peacemaker. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called Children, sons of God. In other words, I think that the, the strife causer must be a son of the devil. Be friendly. And when we're this kind of people, God says, my hand and blessing and power will be upon you. So I want to challenge you tonight. You three guys over here are, are my first challenge. Man, don't let this just be another sermon. Let this be something tonight that you swallow, you take to heart. 
I'm afraid in the past sometimes, and it starts with me, nobody else, we have not emphasized how important this is. We're not just asking you to, uh, you know, whatever meaningless task would be, and I can't think of what one would be, but, you know, just, hey, this is a cool thing to be a part of. We're asking you to, to be a, one of the two offices in the church, minister and a deacon. Be who God's called you to be. And everybody else here tonight, man, be who God's called you to be. So God can bless you and use you in the days ahead. A couple of decisions this evening that need to be considered. First of all, if you're not a Christian, you give your life to Jesus tonight. We're going to give an invitation in a moment. You come give your life to Christ. Maybe you'd like to join our church tonight. We'd love for you to do that. You can come do that this evening. But if you're a Christian, I want to challenge you to take these three things we've looked at and live them out in your life. It's your choice. There's a lot of consequences with them.